I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 will be our text this morning. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, we were in Genesis and now we're in Ephesians. What in the world is going on? You know, we are entering in, uh, next week will be the two-year anniversary of entering into this facility of moving forward as a church family. And uh, when I was younger, I had a pretty bad habit of taking my truck and absolutely abusing it in the woods of southwest Georgia. And occasionally after that, I would find out very quickly that when I was driving down the interstate and somewhere between 55 and 60, the truck started wobbling, I knew I had a problem. I knew that I was not in alignment anymore, and so I had to take my truck into the shop and get the wheels realigned so that I would be able to move forward in the way that I was supposed to go. You know, what's interesting is that as a church family, it is also easy for us to get out of alignment as well. And so what I want to do for us over the next four weeks together is seek to, once again, just remind us of why we are here and what we believe God has called us to do. To simply realign ourselves with the mission of making disciples here and around the world that we truly would, as we say every single week, we would know, grow, and go together. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to tackle each of those words, and as we do every week, we're going to walk through a text of Scripture verse by verse to unpack that so that we could once again just simply be reminded, be realigned with the truth of what we're trying to accomplish here in this community and around the world. And then on the 23rd of October... I want to set the course for us moving forward, the vision, the direction of where we're going to go moving forward as a church family. And so I want to encourage you over the next four weeks together to be intentional, to one, be here, but two, to ask the Lord to prick your heart that you would be a part of what God is doing here at North River Church and around the world. I want to read the text for us this morning, and then we'll walk back through it together. This is God's Word, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, You have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace 
you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. When we look at this word, no, if you've sat through Discover North River class or paid much attention on Sunday morning in the announcement video, one of the things that we want to be absolutely crystal clear about here at North River Church is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings salvation. That none of us in our own goodness, none of us in our own strength, none of us in our own power can save ourselves. And the reality is no one that we meet in this world in which we live can do it either. We are totally dependent on the gospel of Jesus Christ for salvation. And so as a church family, one of the things that we want to make sure, whether it's Sunday morning sitting here or whether it's sitting in a life group throughout the week, or it's our kids on Sunday morning in their classes or on Sunday night in Awana or Sunday night in the Swell Student Ministry, regardless of where you go on the campus of North River Church or in interacting with our people, we want to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is clear because people need to know Jesus. People need to know Jesus Christ. The greatest hope in all the world is not our homes. It's not our bank accounts. It is our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together as we work through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. There is nothing greater in this world than knowing and being known by Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater in this world than knowing and being known by Jesus Christ. Christ. The book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. As a pastor, you have to say that about all of them, right? But it is. It's one of my favorite books because of how intricately Paul weaves the gospel in to what he's talking about throughout the book. That the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts every single area of our lives. That our salvation impacts the way in which we live. And for Paul, in chapter 1, he's outlined what Christ has done in the believers' lives in the city of Ephesus. Now, the background for the city is that it was a pagan city prone to idol worship. In fact, there was a temple to a false god that was there, and they would worship In fact, the idol business was so good that when Paul came in and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, so many people were coming to faith in Christ that the idol makers were furious because they were being put out of business. That's how powerful the gospel was as it worked in Ephesus. And Paul outlines for them in the first chapter what 
Christ has done in their lives. And he reminds them, as we'll see in chapter 2, especially in verses 1 through 3, of what their life used to look like before they met Jesus. If you're taking notes, write down this first truth that we see in verses 1 through 3. We are helpless and hopeless apart from Jesus Christ. I want to let that sink in for just a moment. Apart from Jesus Christ and a relationship with Him, we are helpless and hopeless. Which means for you this morning, if you've come in and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is the reality for your life in this moment. It doesn't have to stay there. But you have to know that that's reality for you today. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, I want you to know that this was your reality before you met Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever noticed that when you're driving down the road, your windshield is so much larger than your rearview mirror. Have you ever paid attention to that? The reason is because you need to be looking forward and not looking behind you. But yet, the rearview mirror is there for a purpose, so that you know what you've come through. And what Paul is doing here in the first three verses of chapter 2 is calling the attention of those believers in Ephesus to the rearview mirror of their lives to say, this is what your life looked like before you met Jesus. Notice how he describes it in verse 1. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Believer, that was your reality before you met Jesus. Think about that. Think about where you used to be. Notice how he describes it here. Dead in your sins. He describes it, dead in the trespass of sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. The reality is, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are dead in our sin. We are helpless. There's no way that we can change that state that we are in, dead in our sins. In fact, he describes it in such a way here, talking about the way we walked, is that our lives, apart from Jesus Christ, were marked not by, well, I was not that bad. No, he says, we were marked by walking in sin. Now, you may be like me. You met Jesus at a younger age, and you think... Pastor, I don't think I was that bad as an eight-year-old. The reality is that you were that bad as an eight-year-old. 
Maybe not externally. Maybe people wouldn't look and say, man, that's a terrible kid. Now, there's some that they're terrible kids, right? Like, we know that. Parents who have kids in that age range after being home with them for four days, right? You're like, Pastor, I beg to disagree right here. But the reality is, for all of us, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, Paul says here, we were dead in our sin. Not only that, as you notice here, he says, the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Not only, Paul says, were we dead in our sin, but we were also aligned with Satan, the evil one. Puts it a little more in perspective, doesn't it? Not only were we dead in our sin, that's bad enough. But we were actually aligned with God's enemy, Satan. And notice he continues on here, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Not only were we dead in our sin, not only were we aligned with Satan, but we were also deserving of God's wrath against our sin. That Paul says, describes every single person apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a helpless and hopeless state if Jesus doesn't show up on the scene. See, the reality for all of us is that we were created to have a relationship with God, but sin hinders that relationship. Sin brings us to the point of helplessness and hopelessness. Notice, though, that Paul is not finished. You know, if we stopped in verses 1 through 3, we all go home depressed and discouraged. We go all home thinking, what in the world are we going to do? And yet, I want you to notice verse 4. But God. That's where we were, but God. Notice what he says here, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. I want you to write down the second truth following on the heels of 
The reality that we are helpless and hopeless apart from Jesus Christ is this encouragement. We are raised to life and richly blessed in Jesus Christ. We're going to see a radical turn in the text here. From what we used to be apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ to what we are now, not a result of our works, not a result of us doing better, not a result of us earning the favor of God, but as a result of us being saved by Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection. Let me pause for a second here and just simply say, if you are here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, verses 1 through 3 describe where you are right now, can I encourage you that verses 4 through 9 tell you the hope that's available for you today. This is the hope. Notice how he describes this hope. God who is rich in mercy, not giving us what we deserve because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our sin. Notice this. Made us alive together with Christ. You're going to see the things that He described in verses 1 through 3 change drastically in verses 4 through 9. That's the first one there. We were dead in our sins, Paul says. But as a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we have been made alive. You notice the transformation from death to life. It doesn't stop there, though. Remember that we were aligned with Satan prior to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice what he says here. By grace you have been saved, verse 6, and raised us up with Him, that is Jesus Christ, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Notice the change there. We were dead in our sins, but we've been made alive in Christ. We were aligned with Satan, but now we are raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Notice the transformation the gospel of Jesus Christ brings. No longer are we the enemy of God, but in fact, we are the children of God. It doesn't stop there, though. Whereas previously, he said we were deserving of The wrath of God, notice what he says in verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Whereas before, we were deserving of the wrath of God, but notice the exchange here. For now... Through all eternity, we will be the recipients of the grace and the riches of God available for us in Christ Jesus. Church, that is the greatest exchange that could have ever taken place for us. To go from where we were to where we are as a result of a relationship 
with Jesus Christ. Now here's what we're reminded of. We didn't do this in our own strength, in our own power. Lest we sit back and think, I'm a pretty big deal now. Now that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm a big deal. Notice what Paul does to temper that a bit in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For us as followers of Jesus here this morning, we are reminded that we didn't earn our salvation. We weren't good enough for God to look at us and go, I really need that person on my team. In fact, what we're reminded of is that this was totally a work of God in our lives. We are simply recipients of the grace of God on display. His mercy for us, His love towards us. Not so that we can go, I'm a big deal, but we can sit back and go, He is a big deal. Which follows here in verse 10, the third truth that I want us to see this morning is that we are witnesses of the hope available in Jesus Christ. So think about this for just a second. Paul has just outlined for us, this is what you used to be. Verses 1 through 3, if you're a follower of Jesus, that described you. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that describes you right now. But notice that when he describes us what we used to be, he follows it in what we are as a result of a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we trust him for our salvation, the great exchange takes place. It's not anything that we did. It's totally what he's done. But notice how he follows this up. That doesn't mean that now we're done. It doesn't mean that now we sit back and go, whew, glad we made it through that. Glad I went from what I used to be to what I am now. And I want you to notice what he says following this. Verse 10, for we, those of us who have experienced this great exchange from being dead in our sin to being made alive in Christ, from being aligned with Satan to being raised and seated with Jesus Christ, from deserving the wrath of God to now being recipients of His grace and the riches available for us in Christ. Now, for us, He says, we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You remember as a parent, having your child come home from school, particularly when they were younger, with a painting or a drawing that they did in art class. They would come in and they would say, look at this. They would hold it up. And you're like, 
What is it? They're like, it's a dinosaur. And you're like, it looks like a tree, right? But they're so proud of that. It's beautiful in their eyes. They are holding it up. They want you to see that. What Paul is saying for us here is that that's exactly what we are in the Lord's plan and purpose. That now we are His artwork that is on display in this world in which we live. We are His workmanship, having been crafted and created, made alive. Not so that we can simply sit back, but so that we can be witnesses to the grace and the mercy of God that's available for this world in which we live. One of the things that's been so encouraging walking through the last few days and especially seeing over the last few days the response south of us. I don't know if you know this or not, but in every natural disaster that takes place, hurricane, earthquake, flooding, whatever it may be, people will tell you that the first ones on the scene and the longest who stay in that area working are followers of Jesus Christ. Whether that's through organizations like Samaritan's Purse, or that's organizations like the Disaster Relief of the Southern Baptist Convention, which part of your offering dollars goes to support. Saw reports this morning that they had trailers set up in some of the hardest hit areas, and they were feeding 10,000 people a day. Why? Because they take this verse seriously. That we are His workmanship. That the work of God in our lives is to such an important degree that we want other people to know what that's like. So members of our church family serving in our community helping neighbors put shutters on, cutting down trees, helping tarp roofs. Why? Not so that we can feel good about ourselves, but so that we have an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. That we have the opportunity to point people to the greatest hope that they could ever find, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. So as a church family, when we think about making disciples, when we think about serving in this community, when we think about the ministries that we have, when we think about the Sunday morning services, our focus at the core of everything that we do is to make crystal clear the gospel of Jesus Christ as the hope of the world. It is easy for us, if we're not careful, to get roped in to thinking that there's so many other things that people need. Yes, they need food. Yes, they need shelter. Yes, they need clothing. Yes, they need jobs. Yes, all of those things are important. However, if they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
It does not matter how well fed they are. It doesn't matter how well clothed they are. It doesn't matter how great the shelter is over their head. They will die and spend eternity separated from Jesus Christ. For us as a church family, our heartbeat must be that we want people to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is lifted high in every single thing that we do. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads with me this morning. As our worship team makes their way back up and we have an opportunity to respond to the Lord today. I have absolutely no doubt that in a room this size with this amount of people that there is someone here today that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I simply want to remind you this morning verses 1 through 3 right now are your reality. You are dead in your sin. You are aligned with the enemy of God. You are deserving of the wrath of God against your sin. And that's not meant to scare you. It's simply meant to put reality in front of you. And then to offer this encouragement. But God who is rich in mercy, because of the love that he had toward you, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to lay his life down for you. And he rose again on the third day, securing salvation for you. And this morning, that free gift is offered to you. Will you respond by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning? We'd love to help you take that step. Our pastors are down front. Simply grab one of them and say, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. We'd love to walk you through that. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, this is an opportunity for you to rejoice in the great exchange that took place in your life. To celebrate who you are in Christ. But it's also an opportunity for you to recommit once again that you will take seriously the mission of being his workmanship in this world. To serve, to share, to love, to help those who are far from him experience what you've experienced. Maybe there's someone that pops in your head right now that you know needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to begin now praying for them. Our altar is open. You can respond in just a bit. Maybe you want to take this as an opportunity to pray for those who are south of us, for the believers who are on the ground sharing the gospel as they meet needs, that they'll see people come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of this tragedy that they've walked through. 
that they would see that there is hope beyond this world. Father, we ask that you would work in our hearts and our lives this morning. Remind us, as followers of Jesus, what we used to be and what we are now as a result of what's happened through our relationship with Jesus Christ. God, if there's one here that doesn't know you, would today be the day of salvation for them? We ask that you would work even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.